Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9. Let's share in God's good word together. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. At this point in the story, Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. Other translations say that he steeled himself. That what he was about to do was unlike the things he had done before. And because Jesus knew that he would choose to follow his mission to save the world through the cross, that he would indeed die and be tortured, all of a sudden his teaching became more urgent. The tone shifted. And what you'll see in the latter part of Luke is is someone who understands what's going to happen to them. And that, that colors everything else that happens through the rest of the gospel. Because Jesus has moved from the beginning of his ministry to now what will go into his last week of life. And he knows it all. He knows what's going to happen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark Foster. I'm the founding pastor here. It's great to be with you all uh, as we head towards Easter. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Luke. Jesus and the Outsiders, the Outcast, and the Outlaws. And so as a way to get us caught up uh, very quickly on week one, uh, we're doing this for Lent. And so that's the the days between uh, Ash Wednesday and Easter. We remember that Jesus healed the sick. He touched the untouchables and ate with sinners. Uh, This was unheard of and was not supposed to be done. If you were a Pharisee, you were supposed to stay way, way, way far away from sinners. And you certainly weren't going to eat with them. And we looked at how Jesus used the very, very young and the very, very old all throughout the Bible. And what we find is that with Jesus, there's nothing too about you. Not at all. You are just right, just right, just right for what God calls you to do, whatever that may be. God knows you. You are fearfully, wonderfully made, and he has a mission for each and every one of us that only you can do, that only you can do, and you're ready for it. Now, that may take a lot of prayer. That may take a lot of courage. It may take a lot of things, but make no mistake, you're not too anything. You're right where you are. And God celebrates that. So here's something um, that's pretty tricky. So I'm going to move by it fast. But if you want to talk about it later, I'm open to that. (laughs) Marie Fortune says, when God answers, shows the way, and opens the door, then we have to walk through it. God will not pick us up and carry us through. You have to be really careful, right? You can't, that goes together. You, You can't pull that out. But here's the thing. If Jesus, if we pray, God, I'm hungry Feed me, and Jesus drops manna from heaven, or he provides apples and oranges and pears, and we go, no, I'm hungry for McDonald's. It doesn't work that way, right? He provides, and you either walk into it or you don't. And there's some folks that just keep waiting for God. God's like, dude, you know, I sent you the things. So it's really important that we understand this. When God answers, when God shows the way, God opens the door, then we have to walk through it, friends. There's our part. Jesus says we must carry our cross and follow him. We have a part to play even when it's difficult. Week two, Pastor Brandon shared with us that being truly seen and noticed makes us come alive. 
Attention is the very first act of love. And this is true for all sorts of people, particularly women, that you may not know that from the Bible because all the names are men practically. But when it comes to Jesus, he was doing something new. And you say, well, I don't see many women in, you know, in, in art or paintings, or whatever. and sure enough, you don't, right? Where, where's the women? No, no women, right? And so it's easy to forget that in Jesus' day, women didn't have the sort of standing that they have today, at least in our country. So Sandra Percy says it like this. She says, in ancient Judaism, women were considered important only to the extent that they impacted the lives of men. That's how they understood it. And so our faith has really lifts up women in ways that had not been done before Jesus. So in Luke's gospel, women travel with Jesus. We see that. They're shown dignity. They're shown honor. And they play pivotal roles. And, that, and that's really understated. You understand that God trusted women with the greatest story ever told. It's only women at the tomb to begin with. And if they are not believed, then the whole thing's over. The entire project, everything that Jesus has been through, is left to the women at the tomb to share. Go and tell the disciples and others about Jesus. They did a good job. That's why you're here, right? <laughs> so what we know about Jesus, what we know about those who follow Jesus is that we affirm and we honor and we lift up women because our master did. Our master Jesus, we try to do what he did. We're not him, but we try to live like him and follow him. And then last week, uh, Pastor Brandon shared with us about parables, uh, which are stories that, that come alongside to teach us something. So Jesus taught in these stories, these parables, that often challenge our expectations and change our perspective. Right? So you can, two people can see the exact same thing and see it very differently. And so uh, my new favorite photo is the one he shared last week of his daughter, uh, Cece. She's awesome. And uh, also kudos to the photographer that got that photo. Uh, pretty, pretty tricky. So... You know, Jesus came to turn the world right side up. That's what we did. We, we live in an upside down world. There's all sorts of things that are broken, and you know that. But Jesus came to make those right, to turn them up. So when it comes to parables, I want to ask you to do two things that my uh, preaching professor, Zan Holmes, uh, taught us to do. And the first is this. To ask ourselves, in what way am I like each of the characters in the parable? Each is the, the key word here, friends. Because so often when it comes to stories like the Good Samaritan that we know very well, many of you do, you'll do that in Sunday school or in some small group you're talking with your friends, and they say, well, let's talk about that. And people will say, oh, well, you know, I was like the Good Samaritan when I did this. You know, when I bought uh, the coffee for the person in front of me at McDonald's. If that's what you think the Good Samaritan story is about, you are way off. Way off. Or somebody else says, well, no, 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 when I helped this person or I did this thing or did it, I'm the Good Samaritan. No. Zan Holmes, my preaching professor, said, you're the robbers. You have money that you didn't earn. Your kids go to school at schools you did not build, taught by teachers you did not pay. Or if you did, you paid a little tax if you're in public school. None of us could receive the education that we have on our own dime. It's not possible. You couldn't build every building, write every book, pay the people to teach you. It's impossible. What you have is a gift. And the Appropriate responses, thank you. So as you go through the Good Samaritan, as you go through the lost son, the lost sons, right? You have to be the dad and the boys and the friends, all of it. Where are you in the parable? 
And week to week, I would suppose, if you're like me, you move. Some days you're this character, some days you're that character. The second question is, what does Jesus want me to know? What does Jesus want me to think or what does Jesus want me to do in response to how I found myself in the parable? What is my next step with Jesus? What does he want us to do? And in one of the parables that um, Brandon shared with us, a very important one, it was about pride. And pride is a perilous trap. Because while Jesus wills and wants and will forgive everyone, the prideful don't think they need it. That's a really, really dangerous place to be. Right? And I know, I know, I know. If you just thought, well, I know someone like that. You're already in the trap. (laughs) Right? If you weren't the one struggling, then you're in the trap. It's sneaky, that pride thing. So today, we move on to Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And and amazingly, it is 10 chapters long, all the way from Luke 9 to 19, uh, when we'll talk about those things at Palm Sunday. All of this is really important to understand the context. Because if you don't understand the context, you don't understand the stories. Right? So here's here's the map. This is what we're talking about. There are basically three big areas that, that the Bible talks about in Israel. There's Galilee up here, there's Samaria in the middle, and there's Judea down here. And here's the thing. The Samaritans and the Jews, they did not like each other at all. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But what that meant was, while you could go from basically Nazareth or Capernaum up here straight down to Jerusalem, nobody did. Because they weren't about to be crossed by a Samaritan. So they would go all the way over here into what is modern-day Jordan and back in just so they didn't have to deal with the Samaritans. That's some pretty bad bigotry, which I know none of us struggle with anymore today, but it was real then, and it's real now. We've got things to learn about that. Ernest Hemingway has a wonderful quote about this sort of thing. He says, it is good to have an end to a journey, but it is the journey that matters in the end. How you live every day is what matters. The joy is in the journey because it is your character, remember, that lives on forever. That's the the most important thing about you is your character. So it's certainly not about a destination. It's who you are and who you're becoming. That's the most important thing about you. So it really is about the journey. And so as a way of looking at the context, Jesus is teaching at the Samaritan border, right? So you remember the Galilee's up here, Samaria's in the middle. He's right there at that corner. And he knows that he's going to die in Jerusalem, and he's choosing to go that way. So the scripture says this in Luke 9. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is really important all the way back in chapter 9 because some people think of Jesus as some sort of victim, and he is not. The cross is not something that just happened to him. He didn't have a string of bad luck. Jesus chose the salvation of the world, and he knew what it would cost him. He knew the pain that it would be, and that's why he asked his father to, you know, if there's any other way, let's not do this. But he knew what he was doing, which makes it all the more glorious and painful and wonderful at the same time. And even Jesus' closest friends, even the closest disciples, James and John, they don't understand that with God, there are no nobodies, right? You are somebody, everybody, somebody with God. There are no nobodies with God. You get that. It's really important that you know that for you and for everybody else you know. 
in the message, Luke 9 is translated this way. It says, when it came close to the time for Jesus' ascension, he gathered up his courage and he steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead to prepare. And they came to a Samaritan village. And if we were watching a movie, this is where it goes, dun, 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 <laughs> right? Samaritan village. Be like, what? To make arrangements for his hospitality. But when the Samaritans learned that Jesus' destination was Jerusalem, the holy city, they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, not on our watch. No, no. If you're passing through, maybe. But to go to the worship spot, mm-mm, not a chance. You're not doing it. And when the disciples, the people closest to him, James and John, when they learned of this you know, dismissal of their master, they said, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? That's who they thought Jesus was. And Jesus goes, no. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Because he was going to die for the world, which included the people they were trying to wipe out. And so they travel on to another village. You see, Luke's description of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem is not a travel log, but it is a story of compassion. Compassion that includes all the world, even the nobodies, especially the nobodies, the outcasts, the outsiders, and even outlaws. Now, in these next three stories I'm going to share with you very quickly, I want you to understand, I want you to think about who is bad in your world. There are people that you think, well, those are bad people. Well, who are those people in your life? In Jesus' day, in the first century, they were lepers. Nobody wanted to be around a leper because they were dangerous, because they were contagious. I don't know if you know about Hansen's disease. It's terrible. Do not Google it. Don't, I mean, man, it is, it is rough going. So I, I do not advise it. I did it. I'm kind of sorry I did. Because it's so gross. It's so hard. And it's so contagious because it's airborne. So if you get sneezed on with somebody from leprosy, you might have it. And, and it's, it's terrible. So it, it affects, it's a bacteria, and it affects the nerves and the skin and the eyes in particularly. And particularly your extremities. People would lose their fingers and cripple them up. It's also true with their feet. So in Luke 5, going back a little bit here, Jesus comes into space with a leper. And this is what Luke says about that encounter. He says, once when Jesus was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. Not, not just a little bit, he was covered. And when he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him when no one else would. Jesus says, I do choose. That's what he came to do. I do choose. Be made clean, Jesus says. And immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately it left him. Now, in Jesus' day, one of the dumbest things you could do was ever to touch a leper. Because not only does it make him clean, it makes Jesus unclean in other people's eyes. So in Jesus' day, leprosy was feared as highly contagious, devastating, causing blindness and paralysis. And so lepers truly were the outcasts. They were regarded and treated as outcasts. It's very, very clear. So then, and, and you may say, well, well why is that? And, and why is this such a big deal? Well, because you'll remember the, the Torah, the law, right? If you know it, say it with me. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
right? That's what they knew and lived by. And so in Leviticus, it says this, the person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes, so you know who they are, and let the hair of his head be disheveled, so you know who they are, and he shall cover his upper lip, right? And I don't know if that was to, you know, basically the mask of the day, so you didn't get it, or, or to make it louder. I don't know which it is. But then you have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine the shame of that. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean, and he shall live alone, truly outcast. His dwelling shall be outside, truly an outsider of the camp. You can't get more outside than a leper. So when faced with a decision between people and policy, Jesus put people ahead of policy. And I say it that way on purpose because Jesus absolutely came to fulfill the law. Policy was important to Jesus, but he never put it in front of his people, in front of his children. And from the people he cared for. But policy can be really important to save your life. It did for many of those folks in that day. Because they followed God's word. So if lepers were bad. You may know what's coming. What's worse are Samaritans. And that's how they saw them. Just the worst of the worst. Jews saw Samaritans as counterfeit followers of God. That they thought they knew but they didn't know. We know you don't know. Have you ever been there? Where you knew somebody else didn't know? You're trying to be a good Christian, but you're about to lose your sanctification. Because it's like, <laughs> I know, you don't know. Well, that's how they felt about him. So in Luke 10 now, Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's telling the story to a lawyer about who's his neighbor and the good Samaritan. He falls into the hands of robbers. And if you actually have ever walked that road or seen that road, you know how that is. I mean, they could come from anywhere. And those robbers stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving Jesus, half, not Jesus, but the, the man in the story half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by. He just went on by. Now, as, as your priest, I'm sure he had good reasons. Right? I mean, he probably was going to care for someone, or he's supposed to lead a, a, you know, a service. You all don't like it when I don't show up, you know, when I'm supposed to preach or whatever, and then like just nothing happens. You wouldn't like that. And so I don't know what was going on with the priest, but I'm sure he had good reasons. When you pass by someone who's in need, don't you have good reasons? We all do. So likewise, there's a Levite. Also, you know, a religious person, a high and lifted up person. And he comes to the place and he sees him and he also passes by on the other side. And again, I'm sure he's got really good reasons. But a Samaritan, can you believe that? A Samaritan? A Samaritan. While traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion, with pity. And so he goes to him. He bandages his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And they put him on his own animal, and they brought him to an inn, and they took care of him. And the next day, he took out money, two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever you spend. Not only did he care for them, he paid for his lodging, paid for his healing. A Samaritan for a Jew. It was unheard of. So Jesus then turns to the lawyer and he says, well, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And as I imagine it, the lawyer's like, "Mm -mm, I'm not going to say it. You can't make me say it. And Jesus just keeps looking at him. He goes... The one who showed him mercy. He didn't, you know, he didn't want to own it. But Jesus was very clear. The one who showed him mercy. And if that wasn't bad enough, you know what Jesus says next? Go and do likewise. He's your example. 
The Samaritan is the one you should be like, not the Levite, not the priest. Can you imagine? Not only is he doing the right thing, but that's the one you're supposed to follow. See, Jews and Samaritans, man, they claim to be the true, authentic, spiritual descendants of the Israelites, each of them, to the exclusion of the other. It wasn't just better, it was better than. It was a classic example of better than. We're better than you. No, 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 we're better than you. And so Jesus' parable makes the Samaritan the hero of the story and the example to follow. And I hope you see this in the story, that anybody can be somebody in Jesus' name. Amen? Anybody, even the least likely, can be somebody in Jesus' name. And so if you say, well, lepers are bad, Samaritans are worse, what could possibly be worse than that? A Samaritan with leprosy. Right? I mean, it can't get any worse than that. So, and, and you'll notice that these stories build, right? This is the one in, in chapter 17. It builds. And Jesus is between the region of Galilee and Samaria. So he's right here. He's not making good time. Right? I mean, this is the end of the journey. He's still up here. And that's why I say it's not a travel log, right? It, it's to move you with compassion because that's who Jesus is. That's who our God is. And in chapter 17, the story at that, that, that border town, so to speak, of Galilee and Samaria, a place of a lot of tension, where, you know, his closest friends had wanted to wipe him out. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, not just one. And keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't have to. So what's he doing there? Why didn't he just touch them and make them clean? He says, no, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and as they went, not immediately, but as they went, they figured out, huh, I'm clean. I can't imagine the, the, the interchanges. They're walking along and they're like, dude, your hand's healed. Yeah, my, oh, mine too. And all of a sudden, and then at that moment, their true character comes out. What they really care about, what they really honor, what's really most important in their life. And for nine of them, it's their family, it's their friends, it's their vocation. Right? Because for all this time, they've been out. They can't be with anybody. The people that they love, the people that they care about, their work, all of it. They're worried about all of that. And so they, they go on to their families. So Jesus doesn't touch any of the ten lepers. But he sends them to the priests. And why does he do this? Because, again, in Leviticus, the next chapter, in chapter 14, it says this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the ritual for the leprous person at the time of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest... Oh, okay, so that's how you get back in community. The priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall make an examination. Right? So he goes, and he sees whether you're clean or unclean. If you're clean, you get to come back, and you get your life back. Get your life back. On the way to the priest, all ten are healed, every single one of them. But Luke goes on. He says, but, hold on, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turns back. He can almost hear his friends, what are you doing? We're almost there. He never, he never makes it. He goes back, praising God with a loud voice, and he lays down, that's what prostrated means, lays down at Jesus' feet, face down, hands towards his feet, if not on them. And he thanked them. 
He thanked him. When you have a blessing in your life, do you thank Jesus right then? Right there? Sometimes I do. And it's wonderful and glorious. And in my worst days, not only do I not thank him, I think I did it. I'm like, yeah, I did. Mm Mm-hmm. That deal went through. I am smart. See? Chantel, I'm really smart, right? Right. So, but that that is at our worst. We take the very blessing of God and we make it pride. But not this guy. Even with all the peer pressure of the other nine moving on, he turns around, he thanks God, which is the appropriate response. And he was a, say it with me, are you kidding me? Right? This is who Jesus lifts up. Only one of them returns to thank Jesus. And what does Jesus do with that? He asks three questions. The first is this. Were not ten made clean? Like, man, I thought there were ten. I counted. Then he asks the second question. But the other nine, where are they? I mean, you would think if you'd been outcast, if you'd been outside, if you were truly an outlaw because you couldn't be in without the law saying you could be, don't you think you might say thank you? And Jesus then asked, was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He lifts up the leprous Samaritan. This is so important, friends, that we get this because God sees the person you can be, not the person you have been. Right? God sees the person you can be. He sees you healed. He sees you whole. He sees you with the job that you desire. He sees you with a family that's healed and whole. He sees you in forgiveness. He sees you healed up. He sees you. Not the person you have been, but the person you can be. Truly. So then we come to a really important question to us as the body of Christ, the church. Are we willing to go outside for a time to bring someone that Jesus truly loves? inside to the family of god you see that's what jesus was going to do when he touched that leper in the first story that's going outside and you don't know how it's going to end but what we do know is we still know about that leper two thousand years later important so our action steps for today friends i want to invite you to reach out to somebody even if it means being treated as a nobody we say that with me? Reach out to somebody, even if it means being treated as a nobody. That's what, what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus did. And um, I had a, a colleague share this morning that, you know, it's easy to forget when we come and worship that everybody has a broken heart. There's not a person you lock eyes with that isn't going through something. People come here, and for some people, this is the only place that they receive a physical touch all week long. So we're careful with that. Try to pay attention to that. We know people are hurting. We know there's a lot of pain. And so because that's true, I want to invite you to encourage someone who's having a difficult season. Because you do understand this, right, friends? There are people who don't just have a bad day. They have a bad year. And they need us in their lives. They need us to be consistent with healthy boundaries, of course, but consistent in their life. So the way Chantel and I have, have said it over the last year or so, we came across this saying, and it's, it's been really helpful to us, so we want to share it with you. And it goes like this. 
be where you are. You're like, Mark, you have to, I mean, come on. But haven't you been in a room, but you're not in the room? Your mind's somewhere else? Really be with your kids. Be with your spouse. Be with your loved ones. So be where you are. That's one. The second one is, now that you're there, love who you're with. Whoever that is. Whoever God has brought into your sphere of influence, love them. They're there for a reason. Love them. And then finally, and I think we might say most importantly, give thanks while you're there. So many times in my life, I think, yeah, I've got to remember to thank Jesus for that later. I'll give thanks then. I'll give thanks the next time I'm at worship. I'll, I'll do something to honor Jesus later. So read them with me, if you will. Be where you are. Love who you're with. Give thanks while you're there. And everybody says, amen. Let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.